Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I am uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands shall wait for his law. Thus saith God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes forth from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. Please, everyone, stand with me. And if we want to read in unison, verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. Those words, the very last um, phrase there, as a light to the Gentiles, I want us to keep that and hold it in our minds um, for the rest of the sermon. It's key for understanding the passage that we're going to think about. You can be seated. So today we are going to be continuing to look at um, Matthew 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 20. Um, before we start with today's passage, let's do a recap and then a whatever the opposite of a recap, where we look, look into the future. So um, we're going to think a little bit, just a reminder, last time we looked at the Beatitudes, um, Jesus was issuing a blessing for those who follow his, followed his ways in the first part of the passage. It was very general. It wasn't commandment-oriented. Um, it was kind of saying, you do this, and this will happen to you. Um, we also talked about last time how it, um, we could almost view it as um, kind of walking through salvation, the different um, blessings that come. Um, and then... In, so that's verses like 1 to 12, and then if we look at verses 21 through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, there's much more um, warnings, commandments, um, spe specific teachings, um, kind of very clearly saying this is the way Christians behave. And then sandwiched in the middle, we have seven verses that make, kind of tie everything together. And they put context to both this blessing that God, um, that Jesus gave his disciples, as well as all the commandments, the, um, the, shall we say, the rules that are also in the last part of the Sermon on the Mount. So as we think about this, it kind of pulls it all together. And it also um, addresses some of the conflict on between um, kind of the old law and the new law, and how do those work together? What was the point of all of this old law 
if we're going to just bring in a new law. So one of the reasons I wanted to start out by reading those verses in Isaiah is um, kind of to just give us that perspective of what was being said in the Old Testament and some of those promises and the foreshadowing. So um, in these, and then one last thing to kind of just give some context to. Um, in these seven verses, we see a shift from a general audience, kind of, if you do this, you will have this blessing, to a much more tailored audience of his disciples. So no longer are we kind of speaking to the multitudes. Um, this is only applicable for those who are disciples of God. So I think that's just a question that I'm going to just throw out to everyone today is, are you a disciple of God? Because if you aren't, this really isn't targeting you. It's not going to make sense. It's not going to work. So we're starting with that assumption of discipleship um, and that we are disciples of, I say God, disciples of Jesus um, is the words I should have used there. Um, so, and I think that's just so key to just grasp or some of this other stuff doesn't make sense. Um, so, with that kind of that preface, I'll just jump in. We're going to read this passage. I'm going to read um, all the seven verses, and then we'll kind of break them down, go through them verse by verse, um, and um, work our way through them. And there are kind of two big chunks that we're going to be looking at. The first kind of chunk of verses is going to be verses 13 to 17, or sorry, 16, and then the second chunk is going to be 17 through 20. So that's kind of, but we'll read them all together to kind of get the flow. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy the but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot nor one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Thank you for listening. Um, those verses have a beautiful flow to them. I Sometimes I just want to sit down after I read them because I'm just like, it's been said. But that is not my role today, so I will... Um, do my best to unpack them. So if we start with verse 13, 
it, we have a couple, or in these first, um, first couple verses, we have a couple comparisons where we see um, the Christian's life and how it impacts the world around them. So I think that's really one of the big questions that this passage stimulated for me. And that's just, it's a really basic question. How do I impact the world around me? And then to make it more broad, how do we, disciples of Jesus, impact the world around us? Um, and I think there, this is something we struggle with because we, we want to impact, but we also know that we're not of this world. There's some of these things that are just kind of always a little bit of a tension. And Jesus addresses that. And on a really big picture level, the answer is we will impact. And I, I just want to, like, kind of drive that home because it's so easy to create a little bubble and feel like we are being disciples of Christ without having an impact around us. And Jesus very clearly dispels that in these verses. Um, this, so the first thing he talks about, he makes a comparison of salt. Verse 13, um, he says, you are the salt. If the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? So the idea that um, really if salt isn't salty, it is not salt. And so if we're not actually you know, creating seasoning around us, then we should really question the essence of who we are and are we disciples of Jesus? Um, and I say this, I do not want to create like questioning salvation, anything like that, but mainly just Christians do have an impact. And thinking of salt and kind of some of its attributes, um, salt preserves, salt cleans, salt sanitizes, salt adds flavor and is distinctive. Um, we've all probably had that time where somebody in our house has forgotten to put salt in bread, in cooking something, and it's very bland. It has no distinctiveness. You put a sprinkle of salt on, and all of a sudden it comes alive. Um, everyone knows. There is no hiding, no salt in bread. It doesn't look different, but we all know when you forget to do that. And so, I just, again, just coming back to the idea of we're going to have an impact. In the Jewish culture, and one thing to note about Matthew as we think about the Sermon on the Mount is that Matthew was written from a Jewish perspective to Jewish people. And so, again, thinking of context, it's important to think about these things when we're reading this. In from a Jewish perspective, salt was often a synonym for wisdom in the Jewish culture. And if we think of it this way, this statement could possibly read something like this. You are the wisdom of the world. 
if you lose your knowledge, you become foolish. So, again, just another way to think about it, to get our minds kind of churning. Are we the wisdom of the world? Or have we lost our wisdom and become foolish? Um, just, you know, think about that. Ask yourself that question. How am I impacting the world? Am I wisdom in the world to those around me? So moving down, and the next several verses deals with the idea of being the light of the world. Again, bringing back to our minds back to that um, passage we read from Isaiah in the beginning of the service. This is not a new idea. It's something that comes up repeatedly in the Old Testament that God's people are the light of the world to the Gentiles, which would kind of just be another way of saying the world. Um, so as we think about this, verse 14 makes a comparison of that just as a city that would be sat on a hill, um, you can't hide that light. And I think these next couple verses are just driving home that point in different ways. But, you know, when you have something that you're proud of, that you're sharing with people, you're not hiding. It, it blazes out on it as a city set on a hill. And as we think about a city on a hill, think about a beacon, something that's drawing people in, rather than maybe, when I think of light, sometimes I'm more thinking of like a light in a room that's allowing me to do work. And in this situation, I don't think that's really what um, Jesus is getting at here. It's more the idea of maybe, wow, a lighthouse, where you're, you're, in that case, you're drawing people away from it and warning, but a city on a hill would be a beacon that people know they can come for refuge, safety, as well as if you're a city on a hill, you're letting everybody know you're there. You're not, you're not hiding. And your friends know you're there, your enemies know you're there, but you're unafraid of those attacks because you're grounded in your refuge and safety. Part of the picture Jesus is painting here is we are proud of, um, of what we have to offer as disciples of, of his. So one of the thoughts that I had, just to make this practical, is most of you guys know I own an ice cream shop. And one of the things that happened over COVID was we got kind of slower, and it let us do some stuff that we hadn't done before. So we started baking cookies. And these cookies kind of took off. They grew into this whole thing where we started out, we'd do them some days, we wouldn't do them others, and that, then it just kind of snowballed to this point where we'd be like, we're an ice cream shop, we're not a cookie shop. And at some point, we just finally, and it kind of got to be a pet project of mine to just make the best chocolate chip cookie we could have. 
well, at some point, we were just like, we're going to embrace this. And so, we, and we would always joke with each other, we're not a cookie shop, we're an ice cream shop. And it's just gotten to be this thing where we've embraced it, we sell hundreds, thousands of cookies every day, every week, and we're just, we're excited about it. Because we, we've developed this recipe, we're consistent with it, and we've finally gotten it to that point that we're proud of it. And, and so now we're in the process of, and it's gotten to be this joke, well, we're in the process now of getting, starting to get a t-shirt designed that's on the front of it says, the creamery, not a cookie shop. And then on the back of it, it says, but, dot, 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 we make the best chocolate chip cookies you ever had. So, and we all laugh about that. But I was very hesitant to do that when we were in the development stage of this, where some days those cookies would be good, some days they would be great, and some days they would be bad. I was not willing to put that on a t-shirt until we got to the point that every day those cookies came out and they were the best cookies you ever had. So my question, if you're going to be a city on a hill, are you willing to do that in a way that you can put Jesus' name behind that? Because if you're not, then question, go back to verse 1, and question your savor, um, you know, do you, where are you, and are you truly a light to the world? Um, so, moving on to verse, kind of just a different take on, on this idea of light and bring it in a different way. Um, Jesus was, is not giving us the option of, so verse 15, or 15, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. And my take on this is just that Jesus is not giving us the option of covering our light. If we have light, it will shine. It's not an optional thing. And he's just bringing out the ridiculousness of lighting a light and then covering it up. Well, why would you ever light the light? Nobody would do that. So nor should we think that we can just be like, oh, I, I just covered my light up today. It doesn't work that way. Um, you either are a lit light, you're either giving light to the house, or you're not a light. You're not, you're not a light with a, covered by a basket. That's not a thing. Um, and this was a new thought to me because, or maybe not a new thought, but just it was kind of a different take on it as I thought about that. I've kind of, well, maybe, you know, maybe he just is covering up his light. No, Jesus isn't giving us that option. He's expecting you either have a lit light or you have no light. Um, so, and then moving on to verse 16, just the question of why. And it's very simple. 
it's to glory, to bring glory to God, our Father. It's important to see the word your here. Um, Jesus is making this very personal to us. And Jesus talks about my father, but he also talks about your father. And I want to just kind of a little bit take a little bunny trail, but I think it's an important bunny trail to really grasp this concept. Jesus and make this, the whole rest of these verses more personal to us. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So in John 8, 12, Jesus is claiming this personally. But then if we go to Acts um, 14, 47, or 13, 47, for so the Lord has commanded us, I have sent you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. So we see both that Jesus is the light, but then he sends his disciples, all of us, and we then, through him, are also the light. So this is not just something for Jesus or the disciples, but it's all-inclusive, and that word your, then when we become Jesus' disciples, Jesus is also our Father. Um, so again, I just think it's important to know that and kind of have that context to be able to fully understand the rest of these, this passage. So we are letting our light shine to glorify God our Father. Then in verse 17, Jesus addresses this other question, and that is, what to do with all of the law that is behind us, and how does that tie in to kind of letting your light shine, and what does that look like? Because the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is going to really discuss practically what our light shining looks like. And so kind of this piece of it ties that all together. And one of the reasons I wanted to start with reading in Isaiah is just this is one of many examples of how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He didn't take anything away from it. Rather, there was a lot of failure of the Israelites, of people in the Old Testament to be the light that they were called to be. And so Jesus is coming to fulfill that rather than to take away from it. And this next portion of the um, passage, he addresses that. So, um, and he also, I think, is addressing this idea of 
we're, it's not a free pass to do whatever we want. Rather, it's the fulfillment and addition. Um, but then also, I think we should clarify that it's, we know from the rest of Scripture that it doesn't mean a co continuation of us practicing all of the Mosaic law. So just some bits and pieces that I think we should under, continue to understand as we, as we read this. So verse 17, he directly addresses that he is not coming to destroy. In verse 18, he's focusing, he, you see this kind of turn and a focus on the fulfillment. And I think it's really important that we focus on the fulfillment rather than the, than the actual law itself. Um, if we get caught on either side of that, we'll, we'll kind of lose the, lose the whole point of it. Um, but Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And then we do get into this in 19 and 20, this idea of whosoever breaks any of these commandments. And, then, and I think this is just there to reinforce the, that that we're not just throwing away, that it was, that the commandments were there for a reason, and um, we have to continue living in that way that our light does continue to shine. And then verse 20 says, For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you by no means will enter the kingdom of heaven. And we're wrapping this up with a preface for what does this exceeding look like? And then we go into the next part of the passage that actually gets into those details. So I guess I want to um, kind of leave us with a couple questions. And that is, what does impacting the world look like. And in this passage, I think Jesus clearly outlines it looks like, it actually looks like something. It's not, it's not just living under a bushel. So we're going to have a light that shines, that's going to be distinctive, and it's also going to add savor to the world around us. And I wish I had a clear rubric to tell you exactly what letting our light will shine. But I think rather than that, we do have in the next two chapters a little bit of a rubric for that. But also, there's still a lot left to kind of us to figure out. But we're going to figure that out through discipleship. And that discipleship through Jesus and a relationship with the Father. But I think the question that we can ask ourselves is a little time to self-reflect. And are you a beacon? Are you a city set on a hill? Are you distinctive? 
And then finally, do you exhibit wisdom? Those are all characteristics that Jesus laid out in these seven verses. And too often, I find myself not always as distinctive as I would want to be, not always exhibiting wisdom, and I have to come back to the fact that it's a lack of discipleship, of me being discipled through Jesus and claiming the relationship with the Father and saying, Jesus, you are my Father. So that's where I'm going to wrap up today. Um, hopefully this has been an encouragement to you. It challenged me, and I'll turn the time back over to Dave.